What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? If you had all the money, all the time, all the knowledge, all the resources that you needed? What would you do with your life if you simply knew that anything was possible for you? My name is Christina Carlson, founder of Global Swedish Design and stationery brand Kiki K, and author of the book Your Dream Life Starts Here. And I love exploring these sorts of questions to inspire people to dream. Before I started Kiki K, I had a dream that I could bring Swedish design to the world to create beautiful products that bring sparks of joy into the everyday lives of millions. Now that I have achieved that dream, I want to help you dream big. I want to create a global movement to inspire 101 million dreamers to transform their lives and transform the world in return. Each episode, I'll be talking to some of the world's most inspiring people, exploring the powerful impact that dreaming has had on their lives. We'll be diving deep into the power of dreaming with real insights and ideas that you can use immediately to build a dream life of your own, whatever that means for you. I am so excited to share this episode with you. For many years, I have been inspired by the story of Nobel Peace Prize winner Malala Yousafzai and how she continues to fight for what she believes in, as well as the wonderful work the Malala Fund Foundation do for girls' education around the world. Which is why this year, inspired by Malala's dream of a world where every girl can choose her own future, I'm so excited to share that Kiki K has joined forces with Malala Fund to create a beautiful product collection to help empower people around the world and raise awareness for girls' education. The collection launch also celebrates a donation we'll be making of 100,000 US dollars to the Malala Fund as part of our partnership to help Malala continue to make her dream a reality. And in this amazing episode, I was lucky enough to be joined by one of Malala's fund's education champions, the very inspiring Lala Rukh Fasal Uraman. Malala Fund believes that real change for girls' education happens at the local level, and through their programs, they invest in education champions just like Lala, who are challenging the policies and practices that prevent girls from going to school in their communities. Originally from Pakistan, Lala studied molecular biology and biotechnology at university and is on a mission to engage more girls in science, technology and math education. In 2016, she founded Science Fuse, a social enterprise working to make quality science education accessible to marginalized students in Punjab, Pakistan. Through her work as an education champion, Lala, with the help of Malala Fund, is helping to change social norms in Pakistan so girls can have more access to quality education and technology, as well as make science fun, creative and engaging for everyone. Just amazing. I really love chatting with Lala for this episode, where you will discover how education should be a basic human right for every child, but sadly isn't the importance of investing in quality education for all children everywhere, how the global pandemic has impacted the work of Malala's Fund's education champions and how they are adapting to a more online platform, 
how Lala and others like her are changing the mindsets of people in areas where girls' education was previously not an option or the norm, the importance of investing in education and how that can truly change the world, the many challenges Lala has faced within her family and her culture purely because she is a female, the importance of having the support of loved ones as you pursue your dreams and how important this was for Lala. How Malala Yousafzai's story inspired Lala's life and her dream to create positive change. How important it is for us all to learn about the work that is happening in other parts of the world to help girls gain access to quality education. That is not always easy to chase your dreams, but that passion will keep you moving forward and the support of those around you. The importance of not letting fear hold you back. The incredible work of Malala Fund and how you can help. And so much more. I know you're going to love this episode. It's so inspiring. So let's get right into it. Hi, Lala, and welcome to my podcast. Hi, Christina. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure being here. Before we jump into lots of exciting questions, I always ask the same questions, and that is, did you as a child, have a dream in terms of it was something you wanted to become or have or be? I think I was about 12 or 13 when I, uh, you know, I, I remember very vividly a friend of mine, you know, I, we were having a conversation and I told her that, you know, I want to, I want to do something that will impact people's lives. Of course, I, I was too young to, um, you know, know what social entrepreneurs are or what a social enterprise is. But I was, uh, I think from from an early age, quite clear that I wanted to do work that would be meaningful. So I'm bad at, you know, doing work that I, 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 where I, I can't see that, you know, there's any impact, uh, you know, happening on people's lives. That's something I was very keen about or, or very interested in from an early age. And then I think I was about 17 years old when I got a chance to volunteer at a charitable school in Karachi where I you know grew up that was a very unique experience for me because I come from a relatively privileged family where you know uh, from a middle class family and I had never you know stepped into inside a school like that you know it was based in one of the slum areas in in Karachi and I think spending two months in that school really drew me to the profession of being a teacher I thought that, you know, being in a classroom was something that I enjoyed. And I thought that, you know, this is something maybe that I'd like to do this. I'd like to pursue this uh, at some point in my life. So it started from there. Mm, that's amazing. And what, what you have done out of that is amazing. So can you please tell me how you became an education champion? What were you doing before and um, how did that come about? Yeah, so I was, um, I'm the founder of a social enterprise, which is called Science Fuse. And I was doing that in Pakistan. I was running my social enterprise when this opportunity came along and I applied for it and got selected. And now I'm part of a really beautiful community of uh, education champions who are not just based in Pakistan, but also outside of Pakistan, in India, in Nigeria. And of course, the Education uh, Champions Network is a group of people uh, from all of these countries who are working in some way or the other to eradicate barriers in education for girls, uh, you know, whether that's through uh, influencing uh, policy change or through uh, making education more accessible to girls or by making sure that girls do get to schools. 
So I'm really uh, blessed to be a part of this community uh, and and uh, being a part of this network means that we are offered support, we're offered professional development, we're offered a grant uh, from the Malala Fund, which then helps us in scaling our work, in finding new solutions to the problems that we are trying to tackle. And also the sense of community that we are not doing this alone and we are doing this together. And as the founder and CEO of the Science Fuse organization, can you please share with our listeners a little bit more about the purpose of Science Fuse and the work you are doing with support from Malala Fund? At Science Fuse, we make children fall in love with science. And maybe in some parts of the world, that's not such a difficult job. Uh, because maybe in classrooms or even at home, there are environments where, you know, uh, children are encouraged to be curious, they're encouraged to be playful. But in Pakistan, it's quite different. You know, in Pakistan, um, there is no culture of engaging with science informally. And the quality of science uh, and math education inside schools is pretty dismal. So, um, you know, there are almost 80 million children in Pakistan, and most of them go to government schools or uh, low-income private schools. Uh, where science is taught in a way that, you know, uh, teachers encourage children to just rote memorize and then reproduce facts in, in, in exams. So there's no culture where, you know, you assist uh, or, or, or nurture children's sense of wonder, allow them to think critically. So that's the gap that science use is bridging. We uh, don't just work on enhancing children's scientific literacy. That's one part of the job. We do want children to, you know, do better in science and math because right now, in Pakistan, children rank really low when it comes to science and math education, you know, if you compare them with children from all across the world. Uh, but apart from that, we also want them to engage with science in a way that's inspiring, uh, that allows them to think critically, that, uh, you know, makes the process of learning uh, joyful and playful. So if you could peek into one of our lessons, you would see children, uh, you know, dabbling in science by blowing bubbles, by designing balloon rockets, by making water pop. So we visit schools, we perform in festivals, we conduct all year round science workshops where children learn by doing. Um, and this is new for a society like Pakistan, where science, you know, as I said, is just considered a bunch of facts and it's just memorized and then reproduced in exams. And I think the most important part here is also that in a country like Pakistan, it's very important for, for the government and other stakeholders to realize that just giving, just, just providing any kind of education is not enough. That's injustice to a child. You know, with 80 million children, we have almost 22 million children who are out of school. And from that, you know, 32 percent uh, primary girls schools are, you know, out of school. And then by grade six, 59 percent of girls are out of school. And then only 13 percent of girls are in school by ninth grade. And even those who are in school are taught science in a way that it's not inspiring. Or, uh, you know, by the end of the 12 years of education that they've received, they're not equipped with the skills um, where they can, you know, improve their lives, where they can contribute to the world around them, where they can have aspirations and hopes and dreams, they can't fulfill their p potential. And that is social injustice. You cannot rob children of, of quality education and engaging with science informally and giving them, you know, uh, a chance to learn science in this manner means that you're changing their lives because you're giving them those skills and you're giving them those opportunities where they can aspire, they can dream, and they can take control of their lives and contribute to the world around them, you know, with dignity. 
so that's what we are trying to do through science uh, education because you know good quality education and science education can lead to social mobility so we work closely with communities with teachers with schools and with families to change how children engage with science so that they they develop a deeper interest in the subject and also to inform all of these stakeholders that you know scientific literacy is not just important because you know we want children to become scientists that's one reason but we know that these children will grow up in a world that requires scientific literacy and that requires critical thinking so this is this is something that the government and other stakeholders must invest in and we're trying to create those opportunities for children and especially girls in pakistan i'd love to know what sort of positive changes you have noticed through the work you're doing and what changes you hope to see in the future with the support of the malala fund in particular you know we've been very lucky and blessed that the first reason is that you know with this support now we are able to focus particularly on girls because when it comes to female participation in science there are some really enormous barriers which are unique to pakistan um because i think every region in the world has their own barriers uh, i don't think women have there's enough representation of women in stem uh, science technology engineering and mathematics anywhere in the world uh, but you know in the context of pakistan there are you know some unique challenges so for example one of the barriers that you know was brought out in in one of the recent researches which was uh, done by the british council in pakistan it, it said that one of the barriers was that young girls and their communities think or believe that maybe girls are not that suited for for doing science they believe that maybe they are not as capable of doing science as their male counterparts that's a gender stereotype of course which is something that turns into a belief so when it comes to you know these problems that girls face uh, in particular when it comes to uh, science education we now have the resources and the tools with the support uh, from malala fund to you know focus on some of these particular problems that affect girls uh, you know um in a much bigger way than they do uh, than they affect boys and we've already started seeing some results you know so this is the first thing but then also another barrier that crept up is in 2020 is the pandemic itself which affected not just girls but all the children but i can share something from 2020 you know the year <laughs> the pandemic you know came to pakistan as it did to the rest of the world and and some but some beautiful things that we saw because of the work that we've been doing so um you know in march all the schools um, you know because of the pandemic uh, the schools went into a lockdown we were facing a lot of problems because all of our work relied on in person engagements so you know visiting schools gathering children at festivals or even outside of schools that was not possible anymore and what that meant was that you know we were not really equipped to engage children in any other way that was how we engaged children that was the whole crux of our work so that meant we had to pivot of course and with the support of the malala fund we were able to do that and there was also this added responsibility on our shoulders that you know now that schools are in a lockdown we know that girls from vulnerable communities from disadvantaged backgrounds are more at risk of losing out on their education they might not return to schools Uh, and all this time when they are away from their schools there are learning losses um, and there's there are so many more barriers that their families are facing you know from socio economic barriers and pressures to mental health issues to violence uh, increased uh, violence at home so 
so we started reaching out to communities in different parts of pakistan first to map out you know uh, what what communities we will be able to work with because then there was this additional barrier that there's a huge digital divide in pakistan some of the most vulnerable communities do not have uh, good access to the internet they don't have access to mobile devices and there's a gender lens here also because young girls and young women are less likely to own mobile phones or have access to the internet because of social norms um so we reached out to you know communities now we could reach out to communities from all across pakistan but of course we could only work with uh, at first with communities where you know there was some kind of digital access available so one such community one such school is based in khuzdar in balochistan and this is a province which is known for its you know very traditional social norms where the enrollment of girls in schools is very low the quality of education is very low there are areas where there are no schools available and one we reached out to one such community and and partnered up with them along with some other schools that that were also focusing on girls and we saw uh, you know in just 3 months we saw some amazing results we started training their teachers and it was a deliberate move to work through teachers so that we could empower teachers and then they could you know continue the work even beyond the program when it finished we partnered up with community leaders we listened to their problems the barriers they were facing and they were then able to go um door to door get children access to uh, in the internet and devices request family members of female teachers that they should you know have access to mobile phones so that you know girls could Uh, continue their education during the lockdown and we used informal science education as a tool because at a time when everyone was so burdened we felt this is such a great way of engaging children continuing their education but at the same time not burdening them with grades and curriculum and exams we also developed some new resources uh, for 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 programs like these like we started writing science stories uh one series that we started writing is based on incredible women in stem so you know stories of uh, women like jane goodall marie curie valentina tereshkova and when we started sending out these stories to children through their teachers we saw such great impact uh, we then started um digital science club where children would connect with us online and do live science experiments while sitting at their homes using everyday materials which are not expensive and which you can find easily at home and then we started hearing from parents and from families that 6 year olds were doing these experiments even in their free time and the parents started telling us that these are the girls who would otherwise spend all their free time doing household chores but now they were just so much into science um and all of them wanted to be scientists and now they imagined themselves as scientists um they knew more about women scientists who had you know faced many barriers and and done incredible things in the world and school owners and community leaders they started telling us that they, they there was a huge shift in their mindset because earlier they used to think that oh if we have to uh, give our children quality science education then maybe we have to invest a lot of money in 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 our school which is of course important we need resources but at the same time most of the schools in pakistan do not have science labs and even if they do they're not accessible to younger children the school in balochistan the 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 principal of the school told me that you know i'd been waiting for many years that how how can i introduce science to my children the young ones 
and now you've given us a way uh, you've shown us how we can do this you know using limited resources it doesn't have to cost us a lot and so these are some of the beautiful things that came out of you know uh, the pandemic and the the, re- the most recent work that we've we've done that's just amazing and um, it's been a tough year across the world but um there is silver linings and this is certainly one of them so that's really inspiring what changes do you hope to see in the future for the girls that you are working with the biggest change that i hope to see is that um the majority of you know and and this is millions of children millions of girls uh, you know who do have some kind of access to education in pakistan they deserve good quality education so that that is the one change that i want to see uh, where stakeholders including the government will understand that it's it's very important to invest in the quality of education and that means empowering teachers that means changing the curriculum making great quality learning resources accessible to to girls because that is one of the ways that we can change their lives when they have access to education that makes them think critically that makes them wonder that makes them curious that makes them question things around them then you know they can they can make informed choices then they can hope and aspire and and change their own lives and change the world around them and if you're not giving them that education and you're just giving them substandard education we're not going to be okay with that that's just not enough you know because girls deserve more it's not even about more this is basic human right for every child to you know have access to good quality education and it's important that people start investing in improving the quality of education and and they can't just be happy with i mean in pakistan of course we're far away you know we don't even have schools in all the areas um in every part of the country but you know we can't stop at that we have to make sure that um, the qual- the education that they're receiving is up to that standard because even if you look at the scientists or the problem solvers that come out of a country or out of a population they can't be from a section from a certain section of the population the more privileged people or they can't just be uh, um, for, for right now we know that you know when Uh, you look at people who are pursuing young people who are pursuing uh, science at university most of them are males in pakistan uh, i think apart from medicine all the other fields of science are are dominated by men that's because of the gender stereotypes because of the quality of science education and because of what girls are told they can or cannot do and how they perceive science and scientists so that has to change amazing changes you are making it's incredible it's so inspiring to listen to this i i really would love to hear about your own experience of school and education growing up did you face some of these challenges as a young as the young people you are now helping as well i know you said you you were more privileged but did you face some of those challenges to some extent maybe yes uh, but largely the the communities that i work with are facing much bigger challenges than i faced so as i said my parents worked very hard their childhood was obviously very different from my childhood my mother is not very highly educated i think she just completed her ninth grade and then she got married um, my parents are not that highly educated but they worked hard and and they were able to provide us with a good education and and i went to a a mid level private school Uh, because the government or the public uh, public schools in pakistan are not uh, they they don't offer good quality education 
but even in that private school uh, the the quality of science education was very poor uh you know you you never get to visit a science lab i remember one of my own experiences the only experience i remember from my early days uh, was was looking at that rusty old bunsen burner it's and just you know drawing it and labeling it uh, nothing else but i also remember that you know when i was 12 or 13 i read about in a, there was a children's magazine that used to come with the newspaper with the national newspaper and i read an article about pharmacogenomics it sounds like a very fancy word for a children's magazine but it spoke about how in the future you would be able to when you visited a clinic someone would test your dna and uh, would give you personalized medicine and to me that was just so amazing i cut that out i uh, you know put it on my wall and i just became obsessed with dna with genetics with watson and crick who were the uh, nobel prize winners who who discovered the structure of dna and i you know when when it when the time came for me to to choose what i would study um at university i thought molecular biology because of that influence that i had had but that spark came from outside of the classroom you know i did not have uh, growing up any kind of environment at home or even in the classroom where you know science would be interesting it would be inspiring or meaningful or even relevant and in my family because they were not that highly educated or did not have a very high science capital i do i don't think they were able to promote that culture even at home and then later on in life when i chose to work in science communication um and i i i have a i have a lifestyle or i made life choices which are considered not very conventional for a pakistani woman i live away from my husband because i work in pakistan my husband lives in the uk um we don't have children so you know these are some of the things that that are not considered very traditional and conventional choices you know for many years i've had many conflicts with my family they've you know caused a lot of depression emotional and physical uh you know turmoil so these are some of the barriers that i think i've faced because of my gender um maybe if i was a man uh, you know people wouldn't question why i live away from my spouse uh why i'm pursuing my passion why uh, why i'm building a career or you know something of my own so yeah that that i think is because of my gender but at the same time i do realize that i'm 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 very privileged to have received a good education i'm privileged that i got to live in two three different countries and different cultures and learn from their values and i'm privileged that you know my parents supported my education uh, for many years so these are privileges that most of the people in pakistan or children do not have so in that sense yes i'm i'm quite privileged did you have any particular mentors or people in your life who helped you to get through all that because obviously that would have been quite tough to do on your own yeah yeah absolutely i think i would have never managed to do any of this without the support of the people who are close to me my biggest supporter is my husband <laughs> it should be a given that we we should be able to pursue our dreams independent of um, anyone's you know uh, there's no such thing as you know they allowed me to do this or but in our culture you know it's in the society and culture that i come from if you do not have the support of your um, husband or or the the family that you marry into that can prove to be really big barriers 
but i'm lucky and blessed in that sense that you know i've i've found a life partner who i i think who sees me as a human being as as an individual and not just as his wife uh with i have my own dreams i have my own aspirations i make my own choices my own decisions my own mistakes and uh, i'm accepted and loved uh, for all of those as as i am and that's something i know it should be a given for every woman but it's not like that in our society sadly so he is my biggest supporter the family that i'm married into is is my biggest supporter they're my biggest cheerleaders my sister in law um uh, my husband uh, my husband's parents they have you know cheered me on they've seen my struggles my daily struggles for the last 3 years carrying all the equipment you know from one school to another uh, crying over disappointments and and all of that stuff you know and and they supported me and even my mother has supported me uh, a lot in in the early you know stages it just um, eventually i think uh, they they did not understand what i wanted from life and that caused many conflicts but they have supported me in their own way um so these people and then also i became an acumen fellow in 2018 and that uh, acumen fellowship before i joined the fellowship i was i always looked up to some of the acumen fellows who were working in pakistan they were my heroes and when i became a part of the community and and met all these change makers from different parts of pakistan uh, i think that was a big support for me also i think when i first started working in pakistan i came face to face and saw very closely the work of people community leaders who were working on ground who were from those communities and working with the communities with a lot of empathy watching them was also a source of inspiration and and they always reached out you know were eager to help and support i count that as support as well i also count people i have worked with along along you know these last 10 years in in the UK I worked at the science museum in London I worked in Norway for a considerable time all of those colleagues the workplaces that I worked at their work inspired me watching them observing them and learning them I I count that as support as well because they were so eager and generous in in sharing their knowledge and skills and I learned from them so that is also support Mm, that's amazing to have that and and um, I'm really curious how Malala impacted your dreams and your your life. Yeah, I still remember the day that Malala uh, won the Nobel prize. Uh I remember what I was doing at that time. I I remember yeah, so I was in Norway. I was a uh, I was a nobody. I'm still a nobody, but I was much much more of a nobody at that time. uh but because i think i've trans- i have if i look at myself my own growth has evolved a lot in the last 10 years so this was i think 6 7 years ago maybe more than that i was in norway and i was at a workshop where we were working with teachers i think we were training them they were um, teachers of kindergarten i think um and we were giving them a workshop about science communication and how they could make science more interesting for very very young children who go to kindergarten and uh, this was uh, running on television you know about malala and she had won the pr- nobel prize and i just felt so happy and so proud uh, and then there were people around me who were my colleagues and they were talking about her asking about her and i just it was just such a big moment of happiness and pride and and also of of feeling that you know maybe uh, i mean i could have never imagined that you know so many years down 
maybe in 10 years or seven years, I would be in this position where I would be one of the education champions supported by Malala. For it was such a far off uh, place, but I remember watching her and uh, reading a lot about her and then watching her evolve into so many different roles and her courage and bravery was so inspiring at that time and even afterwards and all the steps that she has taken to evolve and 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 you know for her own evolution and also to contribute to so much in Pakistan and not just Pakistan but in to so many countries uh, in the world so and it is truly inspiring you know and she's so young uh, and so brave um, and I read her diaries, you know, um, at the time when she was in Swat, when she was young uh, and uh, before the attack and the diaries that she was writing. And they, they're very inspiring and very, you know, it's, 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 it was a very, very brave act. And, and she continues to be brave and that's inspiring. It, it, not just uh, that bravery, but also to create this network and this support system for so many girls and for so many change makers all over the world. That's, that's truly amazing. Yeah, absolutely. When she was here in Melbourne, I saw her speak and I was just so inspired. And that's how we got about to be working with Malala Fan, which we are incredibly um, excited to help raise awareness for girls' education. As we have listeners from all around the world who tune into this podcast, for anyone listening who would love to know how they can help this incredible cause even more, what can they do to help no matter where they are in the world? Yeah, so I think the first step would be to get to know more, to learn more. So, you know, to check out the Malala Fund, Instagram, um, social media, uh, Facebook and Instagram and other, you know, um, um, social media accounts so that you can see uh, what kind of work they're supporting. Um, because, you know, I think um, you can get to know really um, some of the stories from the local change makers and the local community leaders who are trying to, you know, uh, solve uh, problems within their communities. I think that's the most beautiful part of this uh, initiative, this initiative that it invests in change makers who are, you know, on the ground who are working within their communities and then empowering them and giving them all the tools and resources and all the necessary freedom that they need to be able to make that change uh, without dictating them what they should do, but actually just supporting them in what they 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 want to do and how they see uh, the, the solutions to those problems. So I think uh, getting to know uh, these local change makers and the work that Malala Fund is supporting would be the first step. And then of course, donating to those causes uh, donating to the Malala Fund could be the next step, however uh, much you would like to donate. I think these are two ways. And, and spreading word about these uh, incredible stories uh, to other women, other young women and, and little girls, so that they can also uh, you know, take inspiration uh, from these stories and see that how people are trying to make this world a more equal place, more equal space for women and girls in so many different ways. And you, Lala, are doing such an important work for girls in Pakistan and, and around the world and are so inspiring for so many. I would love to know, do you feel like you are living your dream life now? I came to this realization just maybe one or two years ago because in the last four or five years, my life has been quite difficult because I've had to 
push myself a lot to evolve and to learn new skills and to adapt to new environments because I moved from first from Norway to the UK and then in between that transition I started working you know I had to I started setting up science shoes in Pakistan and then I um, I quit my job in the UK and moved to Pakistan where I hadn't lived for 12 years because I was living in Norway so moving back to a country which is my my country of course um, but it was also unfamiliar in that sense that I hadn't lived in Pakistan for 12 years I hadn't lived there as an adult so it was everything was very challenging and and so i had to really push myself a lot to evolve and 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 that evolution was sometimes of course it's not comfortable but i knew that i had to step into this discomfort otherwise you know i wouldn't be able to achieve my dreams i feel like now maybe i have a beautiful community that we've nurtured through science use and that's amazing support uh, but there's still so much to do. I think that we are so far away from solving the problems that we're trying to solve. And maybe we, we, we science shoes will not be able to solve those problems. It will take uh, more time and more um, stakeholders. But I, I think I always have this restlessness and this urge that we need to do more and do more. Um, so that makes me, I think I should continue having this urge. But at the same time, I feel more content with my own self. Um, because I think my own personal evolution in the last four or five years or in the last 10 years, I'm happy with that. You know, I've, I've been fighting some of these. I've been fighting depression. I've, I've been having these conflicts with, with uh, you know, some of the closest people in my family because of the kind of work that I do, the kind of life that I live. And I was also living like a gypsy. I, I'm still, I am a gypsy, you know, because I don't live in one place. I, I live... Most of my time, eight, seven, eight months, I live in Pakistan and then I get to visit my husband like here in the UK for just one or two months. It changed during the pandemic because we were working remotely. And at first I used to question it a lot that, you know, what is this life? Why am I always packing and unpacking suitcases? Why? Yeah. What, what is this? I don't have a sense of home, you know, like. And then I made peace with it that this is also a way of living and this is my way of living and I'm okay with it now. I'm happy with it. This is because I don't think I would be happy if I just stuck to one place, place you know, or, or just lived somewhere and did a nine to five job. This is what I want to do. I chose this myself and now I'm happy with it. I'm making peace with it. And this uh, making peace with it and, and being happy and okay with it is is what I would say is getting closer to what you what you're asking you know that dream life thank you for sharing that because um i hear that often that you know people have big dreams but really are challenged by the discomfort and the way i see that and i love that you're sharing that story because that is really uh, was really out of your comfort zone and and questioned it a lot and now have made peace with it because I think when you want to live a life that is big and make a contribution and doing all the things that you are doing, it's definitely not an easy life. And sometimes when we speak about dream life, we we sometimes think a dream life is a perfect life or an easy life. But it's it's quite the opposite. But it's also really incredibly rewarding. And hearing your story really showcases that in a beautiful way. And I was on your website as I was preparing for this. And I, I love how you had the quote, imagination is more important than knowledge. And 
specifically when you are doing what you're doing in in science and I loved love that and I also loved how you uh, had your values on your website which um, really resonated with me a lot of those values I have as well so how did you come up with those? Some of those values have of course evolved over time I think um, one of the biggest values that we have at ScienceFuse is uh, empathy and uh, this uh, of creating a community, uh, you know, and our community is, of course, the the young people. They're mostly young who are part of our community. They're mostly young people who are studying science or, you know, they're, they're young scientists. Not necessarily all of them are from a science background. Our community is, you know, uh, open to everyone. That and, of course, then the, the, the schools that we work with, the communities that we work with, the children that we work with, their parents, their families, the teachers, um, the, the school administrators, all of you know, these are also part of our community. But more closer community, the more close-knit community is, of course, this um, beautiful group of 60 to 70 young people um, who are part of the, the Science Fuse uh, family, as we like to call them. And we have been like a family in the last three, three and a half years. All of us have supported each, each other emotionally, mentally um we have contributed to each other's learning and growth and these are people who are <laughs> 10 15 years younger than me and i have learned so much from them they have contributed so much to science use in the last three three and a half years so the biggest value that we have is that of sharing and of being empathetic within this community and of being uh, also another value that we have is of being just so you know the 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 communities that we work with in Pakistan, the children that we work with, are they come from diverse socioeconomic backgrounds. So, for example, Science Fuse will will also go to a high-end private school where you have more privileged, you know, uh, children coming in. And then we will also go to low-income schools or communities that are very vulnerable and do not have a lot of resources. And we work in a way that the quality of our engagement and the resources that we are curating and the solutions that we are creating are, uh, you know, customized for all kinds of environments and different, you know, uh, people from who come from different backgrounds. It's We do not uh, compromise on the quality. And that is one one value that we have, which we hold very dear. And now with, with more support from, you know, organizations like uh, from, from Malala Fund and from Acumen, we are able to now, you know, scale and expand our work and focus more on on disadvantaged communities and vulnerable communities. So that's a value that we've had from day one that, you know, we want our, our work to be inclusive, not exclusive. And we don't want it and we want it to be accessible to more people. And, um, you know, when it comes to science education, more so in Pakistan, there is a misconception that, you know, only children of certain intelligence can maybe do science uh, who are good enough to do science or, or only people who come from privileged backgrounds will have access to more of those opportunities and that's that's where we are different we we don't have those uh, selection process or anything our workshops are open to everyone and we reach out to all kinds of communities and schools and go out and engage with them and learn from them and contribute you know to uh, towards them uh, towards their work so these are some of the values that we imbibe. And and within our my team, my family of science communicators, we are very open about mental health. We are very empathetic uh, to each other. 
and these are values of kindness and empathy that we hold very dear within our community when you're really clear on your values it's so much easier to make decisions and and work you know be really focused on where you want to go when you when you're clear on your values so that's really inspiring for our listeners as well as you know i'm a big dreamer and my dream is to inspire 101 million people to write down three dreams and then go and chase them um, because i do think when we dream and we live our dream life whatever that is for each individual we can change the world so with that in mind, I would love to know if you knew you couldn't fail, what would you do if you had one dream that you could make happen? One of the dreams that really comes to my mind is, uh, you know, having a big, spectacular science, science museum in Pakistan, which would be open, you know, accessible to all, open to the public. Because I remember when I walked, for, when I first walked into the science museum in London, I went went there for a job interview. I had never been to a science museum like that because even in Norway, we don't have, you know, these kinds of such big museums, uh, like science museum. So when I walked into the museum, I felt like a child who was in a, I don't know, uh, you know, one of those parks where you have those... And I thought to myself that if I get this job, how will I remember where to go? Because it was so huge. And there were so many doors and corridors. And it was just fascinating. And, uh, you know, working at that museum, the kind of work that I got to do there and the kind of people that I worked with, this, it was so inspiring. And it just, you know, every time I see these things uh, when I'm outside of Pakistan, I just feel like I wish we could do this. We could take this to Pakistan. We could take this to Pakistan. Um, so, you know, having a museum like that would be so amazing and having it open for everyone. And then having one in each city would be even more amazing. So, you know, like not each city or maybe, you know, like some of the, the bigger cities where, you know, children from different uh, parts of the provinces could, you know, come and visit. Uh, so that would be really amazing. Yeah. Mm, what a great dream thanks for sharing i will certainly be there when you open <laughs> <laughs> thank you <laughs> if you could give one piece of advice to the next generation to help them live their dream life what would you say the one advice i would give is i'm sure people have you know big dreams and big goals in their lives um, some are very clear on their dreams and on their goals um, some you know figure them out along the way and that's also fine I think I am one of the latter. I also figured out exactly what I wanted to do, you know, along the way. I figured out quite early that, okay, this is science communication is what I'd like to do. That was clear, but I obviously did know in what shape or form I would be doing it. But then whether or not you have a goal or, or if you're trying to figure it out, the one thing that when I look back in the last 10 years is that, you know, the, the small things that you do on a daily basis, the daily grind work is really important. When you're doing it, you feel like, uh, sometimes you feel like this is really mundane and why am I doing this and uh, exactly what is the importance of it. That's the magic, you know, that all of these things then add up and they will contribute to then smaller milestones and then bigger milestones. There is no other way. And you must approach all of those small things, the daily things that you do with a lot of honesty and dedication. Like, you know, for example, when I get a call, like, you know, for the last four or five years, we've been visiting different schools 
और इवन वेन आई वॉज इन नॉर्वे आई यूज टू कैरी दिस ब्लू आईकिया बैग फील्ड विद लॉट्स ऑफ लॉट्स ऑफ स्ट्रेंज इक्विपमेंट इन ऑल दैट स्नो आई वुड टेक इट यू नो ऑन द ट्रेन एंड बसेस टू डिफरेंट स्कूल एंड दैट वॉज लॉट ऑफ डिफिकल्ट और हार्ड यू नो टाइम फॉर मी एंड समटाइम्स यू question or you get uh, disappointed or you get depressed or you question that you know why am i doing this or maybe you lose that uh, sense of uh, sincerity but you must keep at it because and and must approach it with honesty and sincerity because then those small steps will add up eventually one day and they will you know lead you to whatever bigger milestone that you have in mind I love that. I have a saying dreams only work if you do and uh, and also one thing is it's about progress not perfection because I think sometimes we um we when we have a big dream we wanted to make it perfect but you just have to start somewhere and think progress not perfection and um and it all adds up. So love that answer. So thank you so much. Do you have a favorite book and if yes why? Uh the Harry Potter series is my favorite. <laughs> uh because i yeah. think there are, yeah i love all the parts because i think there are so many important lessons uh that i draw from that uh from that book you know about bravery about fighting injustices about friendship so i i really love that series and and also i think i'm one of those people who keeps revisiting the books and the films or things that i've seen or read just for nostalgia I'm always revisiting in my mind the places that I've lived in, the streets that I've walked on. I look at those places. I look at train stations that I've been to. I, I've been to many in Oslo because I used to go to schools. That was my job to go to schools and do those science workshops. So I would carry that IKEA bag from one school to another. So, <laughs> so Harry Potter is also something that I've you know reread so many times. So I think I I'm one of those people who just loves the things that you know revisiting those those things so yeah had the harry potter series yeah absolutely it's so good for imagination as well and really thinking about what's possible and uh, i've been reading um uh, malala's book uh, again uh, and um i read uh, malala's young book a lot for my children because i i first to ra- to raise awareness that you know our kids are very very privileged but also when you see such a young person do something so so inspiring even in the most you know difficult circumstances has been so inspiring so i've been um rereading that and we now have that as part of our ikk collection which i'm super excited about so if anyone wants to read that we've got that Thank you for sharing. I absolutely love Harry Potter. <laughs> um if you could go back to your younger self, say when you were in your late teens, what advice would you have given yourself knowing what you know now? I would advise myself to be more fearless. It's something that I think comes from my childhood from the kind of environment that we had at home. Um there was a lot of there were a lot of boundaries and restrictions at home, you know, when I was growing up. you can't do this you can't go here you can't do that um and that developed a lot of fear so i would advise myself to be more rebellious to be more fearless to try new things to break more boundaries so that i could experience more because in my whole of 20s i hardly got to experience anything i did not learn much uh, there was uh, my family was culturally very conservative so even though i was living in norway i moved to norway when i was 18 
but they were you know the 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 environment at home was very culturally conservative and i was always scared that you know i would uh, disappoint my parents i'm not good enough for them because i remember i didn't i didn't get into med school because that's what my parents wanted and Uh, so i ended up you know for 3 three and a half years not feeling good enough about myself and i had a really really uh, hard time at university because of that so i would ad- advise myself to be more fearless because then after a point i i went into depression but how i emerged when i started emerging from that depression i started taking more decisions on my own i started stepping more into discomfort and then the people around me were okay with it or even if they weren't okay with it i knew that i this is what i needed to do to be able to evolve in my life so um, sometimes even if people don't understand that why you're doing those things but if you believe in them and if you're obviously not harming anyone you should go for it and you should be fearless and you should um, make those choices and take the control of your life in your own hands because i think i got to do that very late so i would tell myself to do that love that fear and self doubt actually is one of the most common answers i get when i ask why people are not living their dream life whatever that is for them and um and it's stopping so many amazing dreams so i am so glad that you got through that <laughs> This has been such an it's morning here where I am and I know it's night time for you so it's time for you to go to bed but this has been such a beautiful way to start my morning and I know that our listeners are going to be so inspired by um, by this podcast and we are so excited to be working with Malala Fund to help raise awareness for girls education and uh, I really hope that by sharing this we will make an impact together so I just want to say thank you so much you are such an inspiration to the world keep it up and I can't wait to continue watching what you're doing and I hope to meet you in person one day as well thank you so much for uh, having me on this uh, on this podcast uh, and thank you uh, and i'm so happy to hear about this partnership um, and i've been looking at your work as well on social media and i'm i'm also looking forward to exploring more and getting to know, know you and your work even better i'm very excited about this partnership and you know hopefully we'll get to know more about this as well and it's it's been really a pleasure and an honor uh, to be here so thank you so much thank you Wow, how inspiring is Lala. One of my favorite quotes by Malala Yousafzai is progress for women means progress for girls and the world. And Lala is certainly one incredible woman helping Malala fund in their mission to create this progress and help girls all around the world gain access to quality education. I just love how her advice to her younger self would be to be more fearless and not let fear hold her back. Something we all need to remember no matter what dreams we are chasing. I hope you enjoyed hearing about the work of the Malala Fund and in particular Lala's amazing work as an education champion in Pakistan. It's so heartbreaking to know that not everyone has the access to quality education that many of us take for granted. It has been an honor to partner with Malala Fund this year as their mission aligns perfectly with our Kiki K purpose of inspiring and empowering people all around the world to live their best life every day. 
As part of the Kiki K by Malala Fund product collaboration, and with your support, Kiki K will donate at least 100,000 US dollars to Malala Fund to help Malala Yousafzai to chase her dream of a world where every girl can choose her own future. If you love this episode and would like to know more about this important partnership or Malala Fund's work, be sure to visit kiki-k.com forward slash Malala or head into your local Kiki K store. And don't forget, if you have been inspired to dream big or make any positive changes after hearing this episode, I would love you to join my private Facebook group, The Dream Life Podcast, so you can share and learn with a group of like-minded dreamers. We have so many more inspiring guests lined up this year, so please remember to subscribe so you don't miss any. And don't forget to tell us what you thought by leaving us a review. I love hearing from you and I'm so grateful for all the comments. So thank you so much. If you want to see more what's happening in my world, you can always follow me on Instagram at Christina Kiki K. Until next time, don't forget to dream big.